We invite you to Luke chapter 15. We'll read verses 11 through 16. And verse 13 will be the actual text we're using for this series on the joy of salvation. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. And he, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into these fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. We're not going to go ahead and read the end of the story. It's a beautiful part, uh, but this is the part that is relative to our subject. And so we'll stop there and then ask you to look back to verse 13. Not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. The last phrase there, wasted his substance with riotous living, is what's relative to our subject on the joy of salvation. Now, it doesn't seem like it right off, but again, we're talking about the sinner's joy. And this is our third message. And when we introduced this subject to you, we told you that our desire was to preach this series of messages and distinguish where ultimate joy lay. And the Lord addressed that, if I, you remember correctly, in the Gospel of John, and then once in 1 John, speaking about my joy, he said, that it would be your joy, and that your joy might be full. And so again, we are privileged as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, all to the praise of His grace, to experience ultimate joy. And you know, well as I do that that joy is a spiritual joy it is a joy that is internally produced not externally produced it is produced by the spirit of God that indwells us we experience external joys we did before we were saved and we still do now but in a different way however the sinner seeks and experiences joy in what we have categorized two ways. And last week we talked to you about pride-based joy, which could be summed up in the words covetousness, or the word covetousness. And we used the illustration back a few chapters in Luke chapter 12 about the man with the barns. And illustrated there and in the life of Solomon who had the potential to experience and possess and acquire all that this earth and materially could be, and he found out that it was all vanity. So there is a joy there, but it is not even to be compared with the spiritual joy. And then we related to you that there is another joy that sinners experience, And that is the joy that we're going to talk about today. And this is the joy that we experience through the five senses. 
that God has blessed us with. So again, pride-based joy, covenants, getting, accumulating, possessing, owning, even to the extent of wealth, and senses-based, which bottom line we could say is carnal or fleshly gratification. Now, when you think about these two, it's rather ironic. And I debated about which order to preach these in. I don't know. Maybe I should have preached this one before I did last week. But nevertheless, it's interesting to note the irony is that the covetousness-based joy that people seek after many times is something that is involved with those who are rich or wealthy because they're the only ones that can do that to a very large degree, like the man with the barns. He was pretty happy, I believe, the way he was, but his prosperity led him to believe that more stuff would make him more happy. And that proportion never plays out any better. It's the same proportion with a guy that has $100 as the guy that has $100 million. Uh, more is not going to give you more joy, you know, in that respect. However, when we come to fleshly gratification or the five senses, we find that this, as indicated here in the uh, parable concerning the prodigal, leads to poverty many times. It does not lead to wealth but to poverty. So there, there is an irony there in that regard. But let's begin with the five senses and talk about that for a moment for a foundation. And it would be interesting to note that, again, we have five senses, do we not, that in creation God instilled in the first man and the first woman and which he intended for us through those senses to be able to find joy and happiness and pleasure, uh, you know, through those senses. So this is a divine design that we marvel at and are just wonderful, isn't it? And that's the way we should look at them. You all know what they are. We were taught this early on in school. Uh, most of them's up there in your head and one of them's in your hands. <laughs> you know, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, uh, your ears, and then touch. And it doesn't have to be your hand. I mean, you can experience touch anywhere in your body when somebody else touches you. But again, eyesight, smelling, tasting, hearing, and touch. And so most of the things we learn in life, we learn through those channels, don't we? In one way or another. I mean, if you read a book, you got to have your eyes. If you get knowledge by listening to somebody, like hopefully you're doing now, uh, you know, you're going to get it through the ear gate, so to speak, and so forth and so on. So again, uh, have you ever stopped to think how wonderfully we're made, not only biologically in that regard, but that God gave us those senses that we might experience joy and happiness and literally also, I'm going to add here, Him. Now, we don't worship God with the five senses literally in that regard, but they can be and should be used to enjoy and rejoice in God. Those that know not God use the five senses for fleshly or personal or selfish joy in that regard. The prodigal here is reflective, I think, certainly of most sinners of all time. 
for the simple reason that, again, most people throughout history and even presently now are not like the man with the barns in Luke 12, where that they have a lot, they prosper a lot, or they would be labeled as the rich and wealthy in that upper percentile of humanity. That's in any generation. That's few and far between. We have to admit that, right? I mean, the majority of people are not rich and wealthy. The majority of people always have and always will live average or below average. And in fact, in human history, uh, you know, the average today would have been wealthy in so much of human history today. I mean, in fact, some people in poverty in America today would have been better off than the rich other generations and other places. But again, we leave that as it may. But just think of that. This is why this would be reflective of most sinners because most sinners never have the means like the rich and wealthy to accumulate the things that they would like to accumulate that they think would make them happy. Okay? And just think about that for a moment, you know. Uh, they may not be able to purchase the land, or the housing, the cars, the toys, the this, the that, that they think would bring them ultimate happiness. So they reduce to find joy pretty much in minimal possessions and then the five senses, okay? So again, like I say, maybe this is where we should have started, but... The prodigal here shows us the deception and lack of wisdom in only seeking and trying to find joy through the five senses. But this is all, in a sense, sinners know if they don't have wealth or means to get stuff, okay? Where are they going to find joy? If they can't possess the things they think will bring them joy, then they're reduced to, all of us are, or were as sinners, to finding joy and happiness by what the five senses can provide. And in fact, this reminds me of what Solomon said again in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 18. This is very basic, very instinctive, very minimal, and in fact, pretty much animalistic. Ecclesiastes 3.18 says, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, and that's exactly what I'm talking about, the estate of sinners and the joy that they seek and don't find, that God might manifest them that they might see that they themselves are beasts. Now again, when we reduce a human being to living their lives within the realm of only the five senses, we have to admit that individual is not much different from an animal. Because even though the man is made in the image of God, he is a fallen creature. He does have a conscience. He has reasoning capability and intelligence above an animal. But he lives according to the senses which is what an animal does, whether it's a domestic animal or a wild animal. The senses dictate the activity and behavior of their lives. An animal, if it has food, eats when it's hungry, drinks when it's thirsty, 
lies down when it wants to, you know, defecates when it wants to, wherever it wants to, uh, you know, and so forth and so on. We all know what animal is. It's just a responding to the urges and desires of the information that comes to the five senses. You know, if they feel hot, they'll move in the shade. If they hear something that's alarming, they're going to run off, you know, and so forth and so on. And sadly, as Solomon said there, the fallen state of sinners is just not a whole lot above that when you examine human behavior. The prodigal manifests this in our text. We look back there again um, to verse 13. And again, this is a young man, which tells us no, not much experience and not much wisdom. He wants what is his at a premature state, and the father gives it to him, and the, the text says he leaves, takes his journey into a far country, and wastes his substance with riotous living. Now, living according to the five senses and seeking joy and happiness only within that realm is a minimal existence to say the least. And sadly, this is how many of our fellow creatures live their lives. And except by the grace of God, this is where we'd all be because this is where we all came from. This is where we were when we were saved. (laughs) We were saved out of this and we were saved from this. And we'll say a little bit more about that later on. So immediately we see the foolishness of this type of thinking and the deception. I read a scripture to you last week in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to read it to you again because it fits here just like it did last week. Proverbs 15 and 21, folly or foolishness is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. The prodigal here is manifesting his foolishness by his behavior and finding joy in the senses with his riotous living because he doesn't possess wisdom. And none of us do. This is why the Bible speaks about uh, fleeing youthful lust and so forth. We just, we just don't have our way mapped out in a very good way when we're adolescents or young adults, do we? You know, I mean, we don't have the knowledge and we don't have the experience. And the more we get of both of those, if we apply it, the better off we'll be. That's what wisdom is. But he manifests here he is deceived. He thinks that if he gets his inheritance... And then is able to do what he wants to do. Enjoy the things that that will allow him to do. That is going to bring him joy and happiness. He didn't go off on this wild ride to spending spree to be unhappy. Let me tell you. No. He is seeking joy. He is seeking joy, happiness, and that which he does not have when he was at father's house. But which he's hoping to find out there making his own way. And unfortunately, he, like many of us, and like most, if they admit it and we're honest about, end up sadly disappointed. This is a dead end. This is limited in what life can give you as far as joy through the five senses. I'm not saying you can't and shouldn't enjoy, be blessed and be happy with the senses. We should. But my point is just like last week, if that's all there is, you don't really have anything. What you have is very small, it's very shallow, it has to constantly be repeated, and one day it's all going to be gone. In fact, a lot of it can be gone when your health deteriorates, 
I mean, some of us are getting older. We don't hear as good. We don't see as good. We don't taste as good. And the COVID has certainly affected some of you as far as the taste. That's a terrible thing to miss, isn't it? So when we were younger, the senses worked better and we could experience more joy in a tasty steak or listening to a piece of music or something like that. But those things tend diminish along the way as we get older and now we can't even get the joy out of those things that we used to see it's all temporal based in that regard well the bible says here his indulgence in these things that satisfy the flesh or the senses i'm using that synonymously was very foolish you know the end But I want you to look at the words with me here, especially concerning wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, we may look at that and say, yeah, man, he really sowed sowed some wild oats. Well, everybody sows wild oats. Every sinner is sowing their wild oats. It just varies to different degrees. It's just the extravagant people like this who are able to do it are the ones that are noticed more than other people are. But everybody's doing it to some degree. And it says he wasted. Now, I don't know what he got by way of an inheritance. Dad may have gave him a I don't know. Dad may have gave him a hundred dollars and a thousand acres of land or stock or whatever they had at that time. But whatever it was, he wasted it. And the word here wasted is what we uh, recently when we preached to you about being sifted as wheat about the winnowing process. Remember that? When the grain is beaten from the sheaf and so forth, then it is tossed up into the wind and the wind carries the lighter chaff away and the heavier grain falls down. Well, the word wasted here is a term that would refer to winnowing grain, to scatter the chaff or to dispense the chaff to the wind. It's a phrase we use when we say we just cast it all to the wind. Or more commonly we say, yeah, he had this or she had that. They just throwed it all away. Well, we don't mean they went out and throwed it in the garbage can, do we? We don't mean they throwed it in the fire. We mean they just recklessly wasted what they have, not appreciative and not frugal about it at all. Well, that's what he did. He dispensed or just scattered it in a short period of time, his substance, whatever it was, money, goods, assets, land, he got rid of it. He exchanged it to satisfy eating, drinking, indulging in fleshly pleasures. And, and you know, you can think about uh, partying, you know. That, what, what, what do people do when they're partying? Eating, satisfying the taste, and drinking, you know. A lot of times playing something, uh, music that's attractive to the, to the ears, the hearing. Obviously, uh, there may be decorations or people or places or where you do this that's satisfying to the eyes. And then there's always the fleshly aspect of touch that leads into sexual things, of course, also. All these things have their proper place, but not like this man did. His goods and all that was turned into what is called riotous living. Riotous living. What does this mean? Well, unrestrained. Indulgence is what I'd say. Just, just again, pretty animalistic. Whatever he felt like doing, you know. 
You know, the, the old, old slogan from hell used to say, what, if it feels good, do it. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to find a chapter and verse for that. You'll, you know, psychology will tell you that. Another falsehood will do that. And philosophers will tell you that. But that's a dead end street. You know, uh, um, we also hear, I remember there was a beer commercial, you know, go for the gusto. Well, this guy's going for the gusto. He's, he's not going to keep himself back from anything that he wants to indulge in. He'll experiment with anything if he thinks it will give him more joy, more happiness, or make him feel better than he did yesterday or five minutes before. So it's riotous living. Unrestrained, vigorous indulgence of the five senses. That's what he's doing. It is sinful. It is selfish, and here's where his joy is coming through the gratification of these five channels of the senses. Now, that's where we all are. We're not singling this guy out. Remember that. I mean, we're still sinners. We're just saved by the grace of God. And we were all doing this to some degree. Whatever, whatever. This is where we're all at. And before God saved us, this is all the joy we knew was in this and the pride-based covetousness and possession. So again, where does it end him up? Poverty. And it is so sad and it is so heartbreaking. We don't even have to look at human history. We can just look around us today. At our friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, people we know. And as the old saying goes, live. And I'm not discriminating against this. I'm just, I'm just making an application. Paycheck to paycheck or hand to mouth. Because of the choices that are made to gratify the five senses. And you know, I, I won't go into it, but I've shared stories with you today about my experiences propane. You know, delivering propane. And, and I, I actually, I'll just say this. In the first few years I did that, I honest to God thought I was going to have to quit. It just, it just bothered me so much to go to people's homes where the evidence of gratifying the flesh was so abundant and they could not prioritize to buy propane to keep warm for indulging in smoking, drinking, Drugs, new cars, uh, a toy, uh, whatever that was more important. It, it, it still bothers me. It still bothers me. It ought to bother all of us because we've been there. We've been on that road. We know what the misery of that road is like. And we know that the joy that that brings is just not even worth talking about. Not when you have experienced the joy that is in Christ. He got a carnal, worldly inheritance. That's only going to give you a little bit of joy. We got an inheritance that's on high. And we got that joy now, even though we haven't inherited it, and we're going to have it one day, and our joy will remain. No comparison. He journeyed into a far country and wasted it on riotous living. 
and ended up in poverty to the degree that he was destitute in all, it appears, of those five senses. There was no more pleasant music to listen to, no more party, no more plenty of food to eat, to taste, to drink, and, and to in, things to indulge the eyes. He's looking at a bunch of hogs. Alone. No touch of somebody that loves him or anything. This, this, is, this is where it leads to. It's a perfect example of this type of pursuit. Journeyed into a far country. And I, I have to pause here as I think about it. Of course, his journey was sin-driven. But you know, so is a lot of people's. I'm not against travel. I'm not against vacation. We all do that as... We're allowed to, and it's a blessing to be able to do that. I mean, you know, uh, let me make that very clear. I, I love and have loved and been blessed to be able to go places and see things that many of my people I was raised with or whatever or lived around or neighbors hadn't done. I thank God for that. I thank God for that. But think about the people. And I'm putting this on a real center level here. That will drive a thousand miles to sit on the beach and listen to the ocean. And enjoy the things there of the senses. And God's not in any of it. That's vanity. That's, that's just feeding your senses apart from God. That's what this guy did. And you think about that. I was listening to a travel deal on, on the radio. Just it was on yesterday and about... Uh, there's this travel show on that comes on the radio before a, uh, some uh, uh, folk gospel bluegrass music that I listen to on Saturdays if I'm able to listen to it. And they're always talking about foreign places and when you go there about the best places to eat, the best sights to see, and bless this. And as I thought about that in relation, I thought, that, you know, God's not in any of that. They're, they're not going listening to that and looking at that ocean and thinking, God made it. Most people are looking at it and thinking, my, it evolved. You know? They're just restrict, they're restricted by and through their senses of how much joy they can enjoy. Yet they may travel halfway around the world to see it. Or to be in that place. Or to taste that food. Or to drink that wine. You see what I'm saying? It's really sad. A scripture in 1 John is relative. Uh, I think you'll recognize it clearly when I read it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. John says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Again, the five senses are given for us to enjoy things. But in the sinner's fallen state, that quickly turns into a lust to gratify those senses. I mean, to the point that it can not only be a lust, it can be a sinful, indulgent desire, even an obsession. You know, there's nothing in the world wrong with eating, is there? I mean, we've got to eat, stay alive, don't we? But the Bible talks about gluttony, doesn't it? You know, I mean, an overindulgence in that regard, right? I mean, and so sadly, the very things that God has given us 
to be a means of joy, man use them for abusive, ungodly purposes. And God's the only one that can turn that around. You know, I think of, remember David's son Ammon, who was lustfully obsessed with his sister Tamar. And then remember how that turned out? After he raped her, he didn't even want to be around her. Boy, now, again, I'm not, I'm not just dealing with the sexual part here. We could do this with food, drink, anything that deals with the senses. It's never what you think it's going to be. It never satisfies. It never brings the joy it can bring. I mean, how, how have we been disappointed? <laughs> you know, we know. We've been there. But sinners who have not been saved by the grace of God just keep wallowing that, keeping on thinking that something better or something this or something that is going to bring more joy. It won't. It's always going to be a disappointment. And of course, we could bring Solomon in here, couldn't we? I mean, Solomon had the privilege and the wealth to have those things. And he said, still vanity, vexation of spirit. It still don't do what God can do. Still don't give that peace that passes understanding. That joy is always temporal for a short time. Has to be repeated. Uh, look at the scripture in Job with me or I'll read it to you very quickly. It says it very uh, briefly and very concisely. Job chapter 20 and verse 5 uh, I'm going to read four for context. Knowest thou not this of old since man was placed upon the earth that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment? When you look at this prodigal's life, you say, man, he had it going for a while, didn't he? But, man, it was like lighting a firecracker. It didn't last very long, was it? And then it all went up in smoke and it wasn't nothing. That's where joy and happiness by feeding upon the indulgences of the five senses and that gratification end up. And let me take a step further and say that whatever he was indulging in, that was his idols. I mean, when you gratify the senses, one of them, two of them, three of them, or all of them to different degrees, that's your idols. You know, I mean, I mean food can be an idol. I know a person I never was amazed in my life. They couldn't finish one meal. They were already thinking about what, what the next meal was. I never, I'd never been around anybody like that before. I'm not saying that was that person's idol, but I just... It had a hold of them or they wouldn't have been thinking about it. I usually don't think about the next meal when I'm eating a meal. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not that smart. I don't know. I, I do think ahead and I plan meals, and my wife's very good at planning meals way ahead, but, uh, you know, it, it was a vital concern. I mean, because if it wasn't going to be any good, we need to make some changes right now and get ready, you know. I mean, and of course, people can't wait till the whistle blows so they can get a hold of alcohol or what have you. I mean, whatever, whatever fills the senses and brings some state of joy and happiness, that be, that's the sinner's idols. That's what it is. I mean, and of course, you know how most do that. It can be sports. It can be anything. A lot of good, good things turn bad because it becomes people's idols through the five senses. And this is very sad again because, again, creation, 
God has made it so beautifully and wonderfully that by the senses we might know Him. And we might acknowledge Him. And yet through the fall and our own depravity, we look at that as sinners, and instead of giving God the glory, we end up worshiping that. You know, Romans 1 says this very clearly. I've got to bring this up, and then we'll press on and make our last point. But in Romans chapter 1, it describes this. I'll read it to you and comment very little. Romans 1 verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. And I'm going to say them sinners there. That's what they are. Us. For God has showed it unto them. How? For the invisible things of Him, God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, and, and knew God here is just a knowledge of what God has created or what they think God is. It's just an intellectual thinking process, okay? It doesn't mean they know Him as God, as Savior. Knowing about God. And every sinner knows about God because he has a conscience. The law is written in his heart. They glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like unto corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Okay. The creation reveals God wherever you're at. God's mark, God's fingerprints there because He made it all. It don't matter if it's a desert or a rainforest. It don't matter if it's the dirt or if it's the clouds or the space beyond it or the stars. Wherever it is, it's there. 360, up, down, around, everywhere. And man looks at that and, and then looks at the sun, for example. You know, Baal worship, worship of the sun god. I mean, that's, that goes back to the beginning of the time, it seems like. Instead of looking at that sun that gives warmth and light and saying, wow, there's a God that made that and put that up there for me to enjoy. I can feel the warmth of it. I can see it. And you know, and that, no, what, what happens? We bow down and worship the sun or the moon or the stars or astrology or whatever. Or, or a person goes to the ocean to hear them waves splash and to feel that salt breeze in their face and what have you. And, and thanks again, rather than giving God the glory that the Bible says has set the bounds of the sea and placed them where they are, that, oh wow, this has evolved over billions of years, you see. That's sad. I'm not, I'm, I, am I condemning it? Yeah, I am condemning it. But yet I'm saying only by the grace of God we're not there involved in it right now. And this is a sad thing. And then they end up worshiping the animals. <laughs> you know, uh, look at the animal and say, oh yeah, you know, and that's why we've got fish and bullocks and statues and, and the Egyptians and snakes and everything else that's worshiped rather than he who created them. And that's what we're, we're, I just read to you here. And today, the evolutionary theory and philosophy has continued to contaminate and brainwash the hearts and minds of people 
There's always been earth worshipers, but evolution has greatly contributed to that, to the New Age movement again. I despise the term Mother Earth. The Earth is not my mother. God is my father, but the Earth is certainly not my mother. The Earth didn't give birth to the first man. God created him out of the dust of the Earth. There's a vast difference there. I don't owe this Earth anything except to be a good steward of what God has given me on this Earth. But again, I say this. Do I condemn the thought? Yes, I condemn the thought but I grieve over the ignorance of it. That by the senses, a person walks in the forest, for example, smells the evergreens, listens to the sounds of the birds, feels the wind in their face, and yet through their depravity cannot acknowledge the God that blessed them with all of that and that they're able to enjoy through their five senses. And instead do what? Worship it. Worship it. Try to protect it. Try to preserve it. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Now, by the grace of God, there's a remedy for all this. There's a great remedy for all this. We all, as the Scripture plainly teaches, had our lives in this before God saved us. And now if you're a believer in Christ, you know there is no comparison in what you enjoyed then and what you enjoy now. What you rejoiced in then and what you can rejoice in now. Those senses to the believer have in a sense been reset. They're not pure, are they? No, the five senses still want to indulge in, indulge in carnal things that are ungodly. You know, whether it's to look on ungodly things or listen to ungodly things or taste ungodly things, whatever it may be. That temptation's already there. But they have been overhauled. We now, by God's grace, have the capacity that we didn't have before to use those senses to acknowledge and glorify God rather than self. And that's the difference. Let me run a few scriptures by and we'll conclude. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 2, a familiar passage, you hath he quickened, chapter 2, one who hath quickened, who were dead in trespass and sin. Here we were, where in times past we walked according to the course of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now working the children of obedience. What are we doing? Just like the prodigal. Whom also we had our conversation behavior in times past in what? Lust of the flesh. The five senses, the flesh. And instead of enjoying things like God dictated, we lusted after those things to fleshly gratification for selfish reasons. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That incorporates the senses. That's the only way you can, that's the only way you can do that is through the senses. It can't be accomplished any other way. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Just a quick reminder here of a few of these things. And uh, then we can really appreciate our deliverance and where God has taken us. Titus 3 and 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasure. Just like the prodigal, to different degrees, but all the same thing in principle. 
living in malice, envy, hatefulness, and hating one another to different degrees. You may not have been a big hater, but you may have been. I don't know. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. Peter says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former Chapter of First Peter, verse 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. In other words, the self-gratification of the senses. We live higher than that now. <laughs> so much higher than that. For in the for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. There again, when you examine those things in verse 3, you're talking about indulging one. And do note, before I leave here, verse 4, Now then, those you used to run with, just can't believe you're not running with them now, in the same, notice what it says, excess of riot. That's the same word in the prodigal. Riotous living. Dispensing it. Wasting it. Throwing it away. By your own choice. Whether it's your life, your money, your health, whatever. Not making good choices. Sowing to the wind for the joy of a moment. And when it's gone, then it has to be repeated. So we've all been there. Just wanted to remind you that. I've said that several times before I read those scriptures, but, but notice Paul says it twice, Peter says it and refers to that. That's where we were. And now it's so much better. Because God has saved us. And in saving us, we experience a spiritual joy within. Okay, it's in here. Nobody can get to it. All this stuff we talked about last week and today, both accumulations and self-indulgence, is external. And anything that provides an external joy can be here one moment and gone the next. And in fact, it is. Sooner or later, to one degree. And everything he had and couldn't buy anymore. Gratification to the five senses. Then where was he? In the hog pen. I don't know about you, but he didn't seem too happy in the hog pen to me. That's where it took him. But again, I say to you, think with me as I close. When God saved your soul, have you experienced any greater joy in your life up until that moment? If you say you've experienced something equal to that, you better go back and examine. Because there is no greater joy than to be delivered from your sins. I didn't say delivered from hell. I said delivered from your sins. Delivered from hell is the consequences of your sins. We need to talk about the sin, not the place where you're going to be punished for your sin as much. You know, that the problem lies with you and your sin. And they're going to take you to hell. 
But we've been delivered from both by the blood of Christ. I cannot put into words the joy I felt when I knew and believed my sins had been forgiven and taken away and nailed to Christ's cross. And as I've explained to you so many times, just like Christian looking at that cross when that burden rolled off his back, my goodness at the joy. And you know what? I'm not going to stand here and lie to you and tell you I have experienced that same joy to that same degree ever since that moment. But I have had that same joy ever since that moment. Our joy can fluctuate depending on our obedience to Christ and our knowledge of the Word. But think about it in this respect, and I'm done. Whereas, let's just say you were an evolutionist or a new age or somebody was, and they'd sit by the ocean and feel all that breeze, you know, and look at that sea and look at that white sand and watch those birds and, you know, all, all of that together and not know God had any hand in it. Just attribute it to something else, to happen chance or whatever. And yet when God saves you, everything you see has got God's handprint on it. You know? And I'm not saying everything you hear because man makes a lot of stuff that's ungodly, you know? But, but when you're in creation and you hear a bird chirping or you hear the natural sounds of the winds through the trees and things like that, I mean, by your senses now you can acknowledge and glorify God and think, God's in control of that wind. I mean, the God I believe in that took away my sins was able to say, peace be still, and the wind stopped in the waves, you know? And I mean, whether it's a little breeze or the winds like we've been had, God's in control of those things. And right now, I told you this last time i got to say it. I mean, I mean the, those bushes and things are blooming up there on the mountain. And man, I walk out of the morning and I smell that. And I just thank God. I'm able to praise God through those senses now as a child of God, whereby I use those senses to please me before I knew God. You see? And I know you can do the same thing. And to taste something that tastes good and think, man, God was the chemist behind this. I mean, it's God that designed a bee to make honey out of pollen. For it to taste like that. You know, you know what I mean? So I say to you today, and we'll say more about this next time. What a blessing it is as a child of God to now be able to use our senses for spiritual joy, for the right reasons, in order to glorify, worship, and honor God instead of self. And next time we'll say more about this, about that joy that God gives to the believer that excels all earthly joy. And we praise Him for it. Hope you know what I'm talking about today.